on the Talkback Show, on the radio, or whatever audiovisual device you choose to use. Welcome to the GBC Podcast, where we talk about the Packers in our hometown of Green Bay. This is episode 48, created on July 31st, 2023. I'm John. I'm in Appleton, Wisconsin. Along with me, Jeff in Minnesota and Neil on the East Coast. Say hello, gentlemen, and tell us what you're drinking. Hello, gentlemen. And once again, I'm here to shock and amaze Bell's Oberon, a, a wheat ale. Okay, John, it is not a side quest, but I'm having a 2SP side stream IPA. And I've got a vodka lemonade summer hummer for me on this beautiful last day of July. Hey, you can find us on YouTube and Twitter at Green Bay Chat and Facebook at the GBC Podcast Green Bay Chat and just the audio available on Spotify. You can find us there by searching for Green Bay Chat. Our topics tonight, we are going to be talking about training camp going on in Green Bay. Two-thirds of us attended the shareholders meeting. We also participated in the Packers 5K. Uh, we had a class reunion in there as well. We did some heritage trail sites in and around Green Bay, and we're going to talk about a trip to Chico, California when we get there as well. Lots of fun things on the menu for tonight, but let's talk about training camp. Neil, you were there. How much fun was it? It was nice. incredible. I, I, I finally made it to training camp and the setup at Ray Nitschke Field is really perfect, especially for me as a quarterback starting my first year as a starting quarterback. And oh, sorry, they, they gave, they gave <laughs> out uh, both Jordan Love and uh, Jair face uh, coverings for the training nice. camp but but uh it, it it was all of the sort of magic that you expect of training camp starting just from the kids on bicycles all lined up beforehand but Rainichke field is entirely different than you know when we were looking outside a chain link fence back in the day and you know they've got two fields one full length field another 70 yard field so they've got almost 200 yards of football with sands lined up all the way along that and uh, the anticipation before everyone showed up was really incredible as, as we're sort of waiting for the pack to show up and eventually they 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 arrived but the campus was to start at 10 30 we didn't really get out until 10 45 so just building all of the tension for the arrivals and the crowd by the end by the time training camp uh started on the so i went on the first day of training camp by the time they actually started practicing it was filled there was no room for anyone else um within the ray nitschke field it, it was a, a environment of hope i mean there was certainly there there was only a few go pack goes it was not a game like atmosphere but it was an atmosphere of hope, a atmosphere of excitement, an atmosphere of well, let's find out what this team is going to do, even though we know that we're not going to have a handle on it on day one or certainly even by week one or week two. But we started to see some of the things that we wanted to see as far as this team is concerned. And it's football. Football was happening. The Packers players were throwing, catching, blocking, playing special teams, a little bit of ass hats thrown in for entertainment purposes. But we saw the Packers playing football. Neil, I'm, I'm really curious because you had we had talked about so much prep, like getting there early, worried about getting in line, getting inside. Talk about that experience for someone who hasn't been there before, maybe wants to do it next year. What what exactly did you do? What time did you get there and things like that? So the practice was supposed to start at 1030. Uh, there was rain that morning. There was talk about it potentially being canceled or moved inside. So um, that may have held back the crowds. But with that caveat, I showed up about 9.30, so about an hour before practice, and there were plenty of, you know, there were, there were people lined up. I would say more people were lined up for seeing the Packers walk from the new facility out to Ray Nitschke Field than were actually lined up inside. Within the encampment for the for the team, right, there are, you know, as I said, it's uh, almost 200 yards wide, and the fans are allowed on one side, and then you can walk along the outside on, on two of the other sides on the short ends of the field. It was festive. I mean, as I said, they were, they were giving out masks. They were uh, giving out guides, paper guides to the coaches, to all of the players. Um, the, there was a lot of support from the Packer staff, just sort of trying to help people get to different places. You know, there's only like six or eight rows of benches along the hallway. So there wasn't a lot of space, but it was something where, you know, by the time it was really only about 15, 20 minutes before practice started before things were really starting to fill up. And, you know, certainly, you know, it took maybe 15 minutes into the practice before things were completely filled. I, I will say that I was in the exact center um, in a standing room only section. And I will say that uh, if 
you have the ability to go to the standing room only and there's space there, that is where you want to be. Because one of the things that to me was most striking about training camp is right, they're limited to how long they can do it. So it was incredibly tightly scripted. They had the period, the quarter on the stadium o'clock or on the clock at Rainishki Field gave what training period they were in. And they had a very specific time that everything was done. And it was, you get done with one, you go to the next, you go to the next, you go to the next, you go to the next. And it was extremely scripted. It was extremely tight. And the players moved around in different areas. You know, they started up just sort of, you know, the quarterbacks and sort of tossing the ball. The running backs were, you know, just sort of doing some, some agility drills and things like that. But things are going on throughout the field. So from where I was viewing, from where the fans are viewing, the offense was mostly on the right side. The defense was mostly on the left side until they did the 11 on 11 drills. But um, the the amount of different movement and the amount of different things that they were doing over the course of that 90 or so minutes was really impressive as far as how tight it was. And just sort of seeing players do a lot of different things over the course of those 90 minutes. As I said, there were something like 14 different periods within the 90 minutes. Neil, would you have done anything differently being there kind of for the full practice, knowing what you know now? I would have brought a 400 millimeter lens. That's what I would have brought. <laughs> um, it, you know, it, it is, it's pretty incredible. So I'll, 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 when we get to talking about some of the specific players, I'll give an example, but you get pretty close to some of the players. And then some of the players obviously getting further away and, you know, they move around, but like I had the lineman right in front of me, which to me was kind of a perfect situation as a, as a former lineman and see, seeing the, the offensive line and the big guys there. But I, I would say, focus on who you want to focus on. And, you know, if you want to be on more of the defensive side of the ball, you're going to go towards, you know, the left side facing the field. You want to see more of the offensive side. You're going to go to the right. You want to see um, the asshats. Uh, You can do that anywhere, but no, I I think that it's, there's not such an outrageous number of things that are going on that you have to do anything very specific. It's just, you know, positioning yourself is the most important thing. As I said, I wasn't there outrageously early and I I did just fine. And I have a feeling that that's a fairly normal situation for the training camp. When you talk about it being regimented, because, you know, time is of the essence there. Did you get the feel that all the players knew where they were supposed to be, what they were supposed to be doing next? Or because you have so many coaches now and specialty position coaches, was there a lot of I don't know, hand-holding, micromanagement. Fill me in on what the coaches were doing. There was a shocking lack of confusion, I would say. I, you, yeah, you figure the first day they're not going to know where everything's going on. And they obviously were drilled and the coaches just, they followed the coaches where they needed to go. But I noticed very little confusion among the players. The coaches, obviously, each of them had their own role to play. And you could see within each grouping. I mean, sometimes the groupings were three, four people. Sometimes there were eight people. Like for the linemen, for example, it was offensive line, one-on-one. And there was two sets, essentially tackles and guards and centers. And they moved them around a little bit. But essentially, you had two separate groups to make sure during those periods, everyone was getting involved. Uh, What I thought was actually the neatest drill that they did Uh, they were working on route running. And so they would have essentially, I don't know, like six different wide receivers all lined up starting and they'd have three quarterbacks throwing to them. And they were all supposed to converge at one very specific point on the field. And in theory, they're supposed to converge there at the same same time. So yeah, there were, I would say it's dangerous. It it does seem (laughs) a little bit dangerous, but there were other things that were going on, like during, during sort of quarterback drills with, with running backs, they'd have two quarterbacks going and two running backs on every play. And what it seemed like they were doing is actually, they'd say, okay, both of you go out and we're going to tell which quarterback to throw where sort of three seconds into the play or something like that. But there was a lot of simultaneous movement, even within one very specific position group. And I was very, impressed by um, how efficient everything was of course it has to be but it was it was kind of shocking how efficient it was and perhaps most importantly they weren't fighting amongst themselves well I was day one so we'll find out uh reports from after day one but uh uh... (laughs) with some other training camp news and things like that I guess that that's my point you know that everybody seemed to play nicely in the sandbox is what you're saying at least i mean there there seemed to be a lot of overall cohesion on the team as far as players working together and and wanting to get better together and of course you know you don't see all of the little things you don't see the meetings but i was really impressed by how organized the team was but also how focused the team was it wasn't just the coaches doing things but everyone knew what they were trying to accomplish and seemed to be really focused during that time period so there's what 
about a hundred players, give or take on the field. Yeah. I think 90 is the official number that are allowed. Okay. Yeah. I wonder if that's, you know, having no base of knowledge or, or, you know, going to another training camp or another team or whatever. I'm just curious because that to me, that speaks like, okay, this is the coaches not only are organized, but sort of this, you know, one team goal. And I don't know if that's how it works, you know, with other teams or whatever, it would be interesting to kind of get, get either look at a different team or, or something like that, or, you know, a different year or something like that, but interesting report, Neil. Thank you. The, the other thing is that, again, they were switching between different groupings. So they had two different 11 on 11 drill periods, and then they had a number of sort of smaller drill periods for, for example, individual groups that were also going against uh, each other. But it was really only two offense versus defense periods in the entire time. And most of it was you were training with different position groups. But again, it wasn't always the same ones. It wasn't always, you know, there once it was quarterbacks with running backs, then it was quarterbacks with receivers, tight ends moved around. So there was a lot of shuffling around of people over the course. And I focused mo- mainly on the offensive side. I would have loved to actually had a second day to look at all the things that were going on the defensive side and the defensive drills. But as I said, there's a lot going on at once and you know you want to find out a couple of things about what's going on and all of a sudden you miss all of the other things during the periods I mean the periods were between you know two and maybe eight minutes at most so it was fast it was fast and furious and it was really invigorating as far as a good jump start to thinking about this football season so what were some of your takeaways there most importantly Jordan Love looked in command he had that composure he had that had that poise he had that leadership he had that moxie that you want from your quarterback and right away just from that first day he looked like he knew he was the alpha dog he wasn't doing it in a cocky way he was doing it in a way that I am confident I'm a leader and I'm going to be the leader for this football team that was far and away the most important impression that I got from the the training camp and it it seems that that's something that has continued over the last week of training camp and uh, I you know you always worry right any quarterback right the, the most important characteristic of a quarterback is their leadership ability right there are plenty of quarterbacks who have great arms that are terrible leaders and end up being terrible quarterbacks and love passed the eye test on day one as far as I'm concerned and Flat, passed it with flying colors. He looked like he was a leader. He knew what we, he was doing out there. And you know, even if all of the throws weren't perfect, even if all of the connections with the receivers weren't perfect, because you know it was day one, even if they all of those things weren't perfect, he was in control even when things didn't go perfectly. And we talked about that too. The day you were there, uh, they determined that defense won the day, that defense performed better. The offense ended up doing push-ups. And the question there, well, what what's going on? And I think the difference or, or the philosophy that I would take into it is the offense is based on precision and defense is based on disruption. And it's a lot easier to be disruptive. And the precision, though, is going to come. Even the stuff that we're seeing this week coming out of training camp, a pass that love threw to, to Christian Watson today, 50 yards, dropped it in the, right in the breadbasket. Very beautiful play. There's not a lot of video coming out of camp because it is limited, but if you can find that one online, uh, it was a thing of beauty. And the precision is going to come. Like you said, the poise is there. The confidence is there. I think we saw even some of it last year in Jordan Love. When he did get uh, the start, he got the chance to play. He's not a scared kid. I think there were some times in the first two seasons where when he did get to play, frustration took over. And once that happened, the wheels really came off. I saw a huge jump last year that he overcame that. And, and I think this training camp is, is going to be big for him. Uh, I really hope we get to see him in preseason games. But yeah, like you said, this is, this is definitely his team and he knows it and he's going to take care of them. So just sort of continuing on your thought as far as the defense. So defense clearly won day one of training camp. They've won a number of the other days after that. I think they determined despite the pass to Watson today, that was so perfect defense still won today. And What I was most impressed by by the defense was the number of plays by our defensive backs. There were a number of passes that Jordan Love threw a really good pass. And whether it was Ree Ford, whether it was Keyshawn Nixon, whether it was Jair Alexander, we had some incredible plays by defenders during that uh, first day of training camp. And uh, that sort of big playability is something that uh, if we see that during the regular season, that's going to go a long way for helping this team and not putting all of the pressure on Jordan Love this season season i wonder too how much of that is coaching too so you've got you don't have a mercurial quarterback right so you've got you i think the coaches maybe are able to 
I would say be themselves more or whatever, but be more coaches. And so other players might be picking up on this as well. I mean, I, I think, you know, Jordan um, did say, right, uh, the first day of camp that, that uh, a certain Mr. Rogers did reach out to him, and uh, which I thought was a classy thing to do, and just said, you know, this is your team, enjoy it, and uh, he just, he seemed to, to really think that was a good thing that that happened, but I, I think that he talks, you know, that act like you've been there before, that's kind of seems like what's happening as well. I agree with what you said on coaching too, Jeff. And, and, you know, realize the day you were there and it wasn't the first day that everybody showed up and just said, Hey, let's run around and play football. Uh, there's a lot of off season, you know, activities that happen in there. There's certainly a lot of classroom and preparation that happens. This is a year round thing. Now it's not like when we were kids that some of these guys you'd see at a car dealership because they had a part-time job selling cars or something like that. It's amazing how much things are different to, to equate it. I mean, the last time I was at training camp was in 1980. And we were railbirds with our backs to Oneida Street. Yeah. And uh, I didn't bring my bike at that time, but I, I did bring paper and pencil. I've got uh, somewhere in, in storage back there. I've got a notebook with, you know, a bunch of guys from the 1980 team, you know, with their signatures. Couldn't even tell you who I have or what happened to any of them. But that's, you know, I think, Neil, you saw that, though, too. There's certainly the, the riding of the bicycles has become a lot more ceremonial than it used to be because it used to be very organic i think uh in how that came about but also the ability to get those autographs during that walk peyton manning was in green bay today and he was even signing autographs because cool. he was there for whatever his thing that he does and he was surprised that people actually showed up with stuff with colts logos on i mean <laughs> he was giving some autographs that accessibility though hasn't changed so neil with that accessibility were you able to get over there did you get any close-ups did you get any autographs I did not go after the autographs, but I think at some level, the accessibility is actually better than it was back in the day, right? There's, they're, they're going all the way from the, the new facilities to Ray Nitschke Field, and there was a small crowd sort of at both ends, like entering the where the players go in at Ray Nitschke Field and leaving the training facility, and there's a whole swath of nothing. So the photo that we have up here, I think, was pretty representative of what it looked like in the middle. There, there was nobody on the other side, or stand on either side of the street there, and you know, there's nobody there. So, and what I really enjoyed was just seeing the kids talking to the players and sort of hearing some of the conversations that were going on between the, the players and the kids. And yes, it is certainly more formal than it was back then, but I, it, it's amazing how open and accessible all of that was. I mean, I just, I actually thought there were going to be more crowds and it was going to be something that, you know, you'd, you'd sort of see some players a little bit and that's it. And, you know, everyone who walked or took a bike between those places walked by me and, you know, I was within five, 10 feet of them and, you know, could have been closer. I mean, it, it's this photo that I have here was representative of players, kids, et cetera, walking down there. And, uh, it was really neat. All right, Neil. So obviously it was not all sunshine, lollipops, and rainbows. There had to be a downside to what you saw of day one. What negative takeaway did you have? So the biggest takeaway that I had other than Jordan Love being in control was also related to the quarterbacks. And that is our backup quarterbacks broadly stink. Um, they, they looked absolutely terrible. They, they threw the ball all over the place. You know, if Jordan Love is injured, Jordan Love being injured is actually our biggest negative possibility as far as the season is concerned, because those, you know, Sean Clifford and Etling, they, they, they all look terrible. I, I saw bad throws, bad movement, bad things from all of them. And as a Packers fan, I hope that we are going to sign somebody, you know, Clifford is, I think, just fine as a developmental quarterback. But if Jordan Love goes down as three quarters of all quarterbacks do in any NFL season, we need to have somebody who's actually competent in there to take the reins when Jordan Love is injured. And I did not see anything from any of our backup quarterbacks that was encouraging. Well, collectively, there's zero experience between the three of them. Magoo, who came from the USFL, yeah, he's got maybe game speed experience, but not NFL experience. I think ideally, yes, you want to see a veteran in there. Surprising that they haven't pursued a veteran quarterback, but there's not really anyone out there to, to snag at this time either, is there? See if Joe Flacco wants to play a backup role in the Packers. <laughs> I'd love, love to see him there. Well, and that's that's a distinct possibility, right? As as we get closer to the season and things like that, so there will be a, probably a couple surprises or a couple you know QBs that do get cut, and uh, maybe that's where 
Green Bay jumps in and gets one of them. And, you know, I don't know if they want to, if the thought is maybe just to keep all the focus on Jordan Love, maybe that's why they, they don't have somebody with experience, you know, with a great deal or any experience, but I, I agree. It's, it seems like you probably want somebody with some kind of NFL experience. Well, even, there. even last season, they brought Blake Bortles in just yeah. as a safety net. And I don't know what Blake's doing right now, but like you said, maybe even a Joe Flacco, just someone who has experience that they can maybe transfer that knowledge, that poise, things like that to your development for quarterbacks that they can be ready or to right. have that maybe just peace of mind in a backup quarterback. And also, so they know the playbook once, you know, if quarterback goes, Jordan Love goes down, they'll actually know the playbook. I mean, bring somebody in in week one or between the the last preseason game and week one just seems like asking for trouble if Jordan Love were to get injured at some point. And as I said, the the odds are that he's going to miss some time over the course of the year. You know, we're hoping for somebody who's going to be really good at quarterback, but I don't think we can hope on a once in a generation Ironman who's never going to get injured and never going to need a backup quarterback. That just doesn't seem realistic and so yeah and the other thing about Joe Flacco is that you know people have said that he was really good as a mentor for Zach Wilson and so having somebody like Joe or a Matt Ryan or somebody else like that who knows that they're not going to start but has that high level of experience and Flacco with a Super Bowl title is in his name I mean something like that would be helpful because I just saw nothing at all that was encouraging from our backup quarterbacks. Neil with that with the quarterback situation there's a feel of rebuilding. And I think even the quarterbacks combined with the wide receivers, the wide receiver team is easily the youngest in the league. It is the least paid in the league. I saw that number come out today at $5.5 million. The, the wide receiver room is number 32 in the NFL. So the, the lack of experience in those two key positions, did you feel anything there that said, gee, this needs work? Yeah, there, there were a lot of drops on day one of training camp. I mean, I think Jordan Love's final numbers in the 11 on 11 drills were like seven of 14, but three of them were passes defended and th- at least three of them were drops or there were drops certainly with QB1, QB2 and QB3. And, you know, it, it was occurring basically for players throughout that entire grouping. I think Dobbs is the only player I didn't see have a drop of some sort. So uh, I'm hoping that's just day one of camp, but there's definitely, you know, we look at some of our rookie wide receivers or rookie wide receivers, um, um, definitely that is a knock on, on at least one of them. And, uh, you know, I, w- time will tell, but I think that this is the thing we've got way more receivers on this roster than we're actually going to keep in the 53 man roster. And so that I think is going to sort itself out. There certainly was plenty of talent as far as route running by those receivers. Maybe not everything was perfect. I think that po- goes to your point, John, about day one, the receivers had more to catch up on as far as figuring out where to go, but the, the drops, I don't think are just a not knowing what to do. And hopefully that is just a day one of training camp problem and not a persistent problem. Precision will come around. So in, uh, in front of the quarterbacks and keeping the quarterbacks upright, looks like uh, we've got some offensive linemen in this picture, Neil, do you want to tell us about this picture? Yeah, so the I, I had the front row with the offensive linemen working out right in front of me. And it was basically, you can see the drills there. You've got two linemen that are doing a play and then two that are playing defense. And so the defenders, though, in this case, you can see they're all wearing the white jersey, are all also offensive linemen. Essentially, you rotate, rotate from blocking to defending blocking. They do rush blocking. They do pass blocking. And yes, they didn't have full pads on, but they were able to apply the force. And it was, it was fun to watch all of that activity. As we've talked about before, I'm very encouraged by the possibilities for a line. I would say the biggest surprise, though, for me among the linemen was Sean Ryan, our third round draft pick last year that was essentially a complete bust in year one. As far as pure strength and power was concerned, both when he was playing on that offensive side and when he's playing on that defensive side, sort of trying to push the uh, opposing lineman back. Sean Ryan looked like the strongest man who was out there. And so uh, maybe those PEDs will do something. Hopefully this will translate <laughs> to him actually playing well this year. But I, I was came out of day one of training camp, most impressed by Sean Ryan of all of the players other than Jordan Love. And uh, with with Bakhtiari there in the in the foreground, how did he look? I mean, you know, they, they, they've said that they're very much measuring all of his activity. So, you know, he did some things, Jenkins did some things, um, but I 
frankly, wasn't really looking at, at the, the plays, the players that I know are going to be good. It was more interesting following, you know, the people who are going to be fighting for positions and fighting for roster spots. I found that to be more interesting, but I, I came out encouraged, you know, in the context of this limited contact activity. As one of our highest paid players on the team. <laughs> Just yeah, they, I mean, they, they basically said he's going to play about half the snaps during training camp or half okay. of the practices in training camp, just because Bakhtiari's biggest problem is being injured. And so, well, yeah. let's not put the mileage on him so he doesn't right. get injured. Well, just, you know, as a shareholder, I want to make sure that my investment is <laughs> that I'm getting my return on that investment deal. That's, that's all. That's You're going to get just as much in, in, uh, in your stock price going up from him playing versus him not playing. Fair point. Fair enough. Yes. Since the two of you are shareholders, you spent a very lovely day at Lambeau Field. Jeff, did you get your money's worth on your investment out of that? Uh, well, the tickets are free. And yes, <laughs> I, I, uh, I, I did feel, well, as a first time, you know, attendee of this, I really enjoyed it. I, I thought it was really neat. Um, I think, you know, the weather helped out. It was, it didn't rain on us. I'm sure they would have you know, had had a plan B, but no, it was, it was really neat. And the, the Packer gear, yeah, the general enthusiasm, as you can see from, from Neil's picture here, you know, there's, I don't know how many, you know, what the official count was seven, 8,000, something like that, maybe, but you know, it was a bunch of, you know, like-minded folks. We absolutely all wanted to be there on a Monday morning, a number of retirees, but there were other people that looked like had traveled from, uh, the guy in the Bills jersey, Neil. <laughs> so it it was just you know a coming together. It was a uh, you know from the what was presented. It was you know a bit dry. And after, after Mark Murphy did a, a, his kind of lengthy presentation, uh, about half the place got up and left. <laughs> so that was I guess unexpected. But those people clearly had been there before and and knew you know the rest of it was going to be reasonably dry and more corporate like with the election of the board and proxy voting, you know, and all that other good stuff. But you know, just overall, you know, great to be in the in in the bowl, just kind of experiencing that. I think each of the the board members certainly gave their what they needed to give. And and so, you know, when when Aaron Rodgers came up, I don't know if we want to dive into this now, but certainly, you know, Aaron Rodgers' name came up. And he uh, Mark Murphy said that when the time was right, that his number would be retired. So that's, you know, that was kind of interesting. And there was a smattering of booze, which seemed a little, I don't know, off-putting, I guess. Sure, yeah. Like, you know, come on, you know, you know, so. I, I just want to point out that me booing Tottenham Hotspur Stadium was fully appropriate, oh, that however. Was, <laughs> now, that was funny. No, and that was really, really loud, too. <laughs> that was really loud. Yeah, that was, yeah, because obviously that was one of the, the uh, topics uh, with the international travel last year. And so, yeah, that was brought up. And, and Neil was very vociferous with, with his... Uh, with his Displeasure, yeah. With his displeasure in that. But like I said, it was a great experience. Maybe, you know, next year, John, you're certainly welcome to join us. But it was, seriously, it, it, was, it was enjoyable. It ended up being about an hour and a half in total. But like I said, um, primarily Mark Murphy and kind of, all the different changes and things like that. That's what people were there to, to hear, I presume, you know, any, any scoop or anything like that. Um, so overall, real positive experience and quite fun. Yeah, I mean, you know, it started out with with Goody giving the the football report, and that was really just a pep rally, essentially going through yeah. all of the highlights and ignoring the negative aspects of the <laughs> previous season. So, you know, Goody talked, I don't know, for five, 10 minutes, and it, it, yeah. it was, you know, they had highlights on the video boards, and that and, was lovely. And draft picks, he talked about the draft picks. And, yeah. Yeah. And then, you know, the president's report, and as, as Jeff said, Mark Murphy's element was, was the best part. Mark Murphy was actually really funny, too. Um, I'm going to, uh, as many people skipped. Uh, I think that we can skip those elements. I don't know that you want to hear the treasurer's report or the investment committee report or the <laughs> audit committee report. The, there's a reason why people left after oh, yeah. Mark, Mark Murphy job. was Mark Murphy was done. But uh, Mark, Mark Murphy uh, sort of addressed the asshats, for example, early on in the discussion and said, our special teams or we fence, as we call it, didn't, <laughs> didn't call them the asshats. Yeah, specifically, 
going through a number of the elements that have, that have changed. And one of the things that I think was coolest is they did a video tour of the new facility um, and sort of going through all of the different elements except for showing the draft room. They apparently have this extremely high-tech draft room that is um, extremely top secret, and they will not let anyone see Off this unless you are limits. part of that group. <laughs> yeah, they talked about buying Cheeseheads, Inc. Uh, they had a little... Uh, little uh, making fun of Green Bay by talking about some of the developments in the adjacent area and only in Green Bay is a seven-story building considered a tower. There are also some other comments that were pretty funny. So talking about how the Packers are one of the few teams or possibly the only team that has never been eligible for hard knocks. And so we're proud to report that we've never been on hard knocks. By the way, the Jets will be on hard knocks this year, sort of an, a lovely dig in oh, there that, that uh, got, got the crowd going. Talking about the drafts as well, we will never host a Super Bowl in Green Bay, but we'll try to host as many NFC championships as possible. That'd get uh, a big cheer. Yeah. And, uh, you know, just sort of going through some various elements that they do surveys in the NFL and the Packers are number two in the NFL for arrival statistics as far as percentage of people who arrive on time for a game. And I think John correctly noted that it's probably the Milwaukee crowd that kept us from being number one in the arrival <laughs> right, statistics. Two, two of those games a year. Yeah. Did, he didn't say who number one is, though, did he? No, no it, it was all it was all a, you know, this is our team and we're not even going to. Yeah even mention any of those other teams other than the the couple of digs on the jets but yeah it was it was a really really fun overall situation and then finally the the closer was was john zakowski and he ended up his section at the very end of the shareholders meeting with a rallying cry that as you look forward to our 2023 season just remember the beatles song all you need is love perfect ending for the shareholders meeting. Well, starting in 2010, the Green Bay Packers kind of made a, a whole event out of kind of a, a homecoming weekend, if you will, for the Packers and the Packer fans with the start of training camp, putting the shareholders meeting in there. And as of 2010, a Packers 5k run. And this is something that uh, similar to the Bellin run and other events in Green Bay that you can run around Lambeau Field, outside and inside. It's a 5K that kind of goes through the Ashwaubenon neighborhood, and it finishes with a lap inside of Lambeau Field before coming back out uh, and finishing it. I had convinced Neil that we both needed to get back into running. It has been 10 years since either of us did a competitive race, and uh, we spent a couple of weeks getting prepared for it. And, you know, we, we ran it like two 53-year-old men who haven't run in 10 years would have run it. Uh, but it was all in fun. We got to stop and take some pictures here and there, Neil. Uh, but my favorite part of the run was afterwards. Something you said to me is that you said you could see this becoming a new tradition for you. That this was the first of many times that you look forward to coming home, doing the run, doing the shareholder meeting, doing training camp and just being in Green Bay. And, and I think we're at a stage of life now that uh, job-wise and family-wise where we can make that commitment. And I look forward to that happening again as well. Yeah, the run the run was fun. I mean, there weren't many spectators. It was only a 5K run. I don't know what the winning time was, but just being able to run at a relaxed pace Along the whole interior ring of, of Lambeau Field, looking up at my seats, looking at the new scoreboard, just taking selfies, whatever it was. It was just fun. And then, you know, we get out and, you know, go through the tunnel. You went through the tunnel both ways. We got to see where Goody's parking spot was and LaFleur's parking spot were very perfect parking spot right by the tunnel there. Um, and then did sprinting to the finish, John. Yeah. Um, <laughs> yeah. we're, we're, we're coming out of the tunnel, Jeff. We did the lap. We're coming out of the tunnel, right? And, and we're kind of walking through because it bottlenecks there. And I'm thinking, oh, we'll just take it easy. Uh, I got my video camera ready that I was going to just kind of get a little video of us making our way through the finish line, right? Sure. And Neil says, oh, yeah, you know, I, I think I saved up a little bit of energy. I think we can kick it in here. And next thing <laughs> I know, that cocksucker starts running on me. And so I, had to I had to sprint to the end. <laughs> and yes, we tied. We tied at the very end. But yeah. I, I finished uh, three places in front of you, John. I must yeah, have been somehow, somehow a second in front time, of you. But he's three places ahead of me in the official standings of the, the event. Uh, but yeah, that was a, a good laugh there at the very end. And uh, we, I think we enjoyed the run all the way through. And I think everybody around us, it's, it's one of those things where I don't think you go to this event for a personal best or anything like that. It, it certainly is a novelty, but it's a great novelty. It, it's around, like I said, Lambeau Field on the outside. Uh, there's a lot of stuff going on in the parking lots. It has a real nice game day feel to it. We got to the pro shop the night before as well. There, we had room to get into that. But just getting you ready for training camp. It gets the fans ready for training camp. 
and and we know the players are coming into town and they're getting ready as well. So how did you uh, celebrate afterwards? Well, so as it turns out, there's an official, you know, so you finish a run and of course they, they give you some sort of refreshments at the end of every race. Typically it's Gatorade and a banana or a bagel or something like that. In Green Bay, what's the first refreshment you get? String cheese. And then soon thereafter, what do you get? Chocolate milk. So the 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 Wisconsin traditions were certainly there was a there. there was a chocolate chip cookie in there, Neil. You keep forgetting the festival chocolate chip cookies, which are excellent. So thank you to <laughs> Festival for sponsoring this event. Uh, and they also gave us a banana. But then yeah, we had to work our way over to the chocolate milk line. The milk line was the longest line that was out there for anything, and it just was so perfectly Wisconsin. And you know, Neil, with the chocolate milk, I insisted on getting this picture, and there is a story behind this. So here's Neil grabbing his chocolate milk. Uh, after the 5k race. Neil dug up a picture a few years ago from his archives, a picture that I didn't even remember ever happening. But in 1990, 1990, Neil and I both ran the Bell and Run in Green Bay. And I don't remember this, but after the run, a very Wisconsin thing happened that the, the post-race beverage was those little cartons of milk, white milk and chocolate milk. And I had one of those, and Neil has a picture of me drinking from that, that carton of, of milk. And I said, Neil, I need a picture of you grabbing a chocolate milk because it is a very <laughs> Wisconsin thing to do post-race. And it is something that now we have a picture of each other with our post-race chocolate milks. And I, I really love that moment. Uh, like you said, it was the longest line there. Amazing that uh, chocolate milk, the, the great, the protein and the, just the boost you get after a nice run. Like so then after your run, the after <laughs> after Wisconsin thing to do, of course, is to go to a bar early in the morning and uh where did you guys go that that's a hell of that, a that's really that's really an impromptu kind of thing because we talked about going to breakfast and we were going to possibly go out to like bayview or julie's cafe for breakfast out on the west side uh and then i noticed near us on broadway the uh, blue collar bar on broadway had breakfast they were open for breakfast we drive over there but as we get there and we drive around the block uh we're next to cropsies on state street and cropsies was packed for 10 o'clock in the morning 10 morning. in the morning <laughs> yeah we said well i guess this is the place to be we got out we parked by crop season we got out and walked in and sure enough there's people wearing the same race jersey that that neil switched into and they're drinking beers and bloody marys and we said oh i guess we're having a bloody mary here and as you can see it was a nicely loaded bloody mary yeah. as well so just describe so for those on Spotify, describe that Bloody Mary, because that, that's a well, really you know, your blast. standard vodka and, and tomato juice with Worcestershire and Tabasco. But yeah, they put in uh, a full pickle spear, a full thing of string cheese. Uh, what else did we have in there? They had sausage, mushrooms. Oh, yeah, the sausage stick, yep. That, there's a lot going on there. And, and it, was, course, it was a meal. Yep. And of course, you've got your beer back as well. So that's... I don't, even, I don't even think we had the option other than getting a beer chaser. It was like, what beer do you want as your chaser? It wasn't, right. are you getting a beer chaser with your Bloody Mary? It's which beer chaser are you going to get? So yeah, we, we had the, the, the superfecta of Wisconsin as post-race food. We had string cheese, we had milk, we had a Bloody Mary, and we had a beer chaser. Perfect. Absolutely. <laughs> Excellent. A solid morning throughout. And then we went to breakfast. <laughs> also at a bar <laughs> of yes. course neil you also said that you wanted to make a tradition out of this weekend which is great we even had something else going on this weekend it won't be a yearly tradition for us but it can be uh, added to it every five years hopefully and we had a high school class reunion in green bay on the east side but in addition to that neil you made your way around some parts uh, in particular east high school and old city stadium and some of the heritage trail sites that are associated with the historic green bay packers yeah, but I'm going to start out with City Stadium and, and just being in Green Bay. So one of the things that's great about high school reunions is, of course, not everyone goes every year. So you never know who you're going to see. And we had a number of our friends who had not been back to Green Bay in a long time, hadn't been to a class reunion ever before, and just sort of seeing some of their amazement at the ways that Green Bay has changed, you know, seeing the ways that Lambeau Field had gotten so much bigger than back in 1988 or 1990, being able to see all of the stadium district and just how different it is, sort of seeing the amazement in other people's eyes about how Green Bay has changed. Because when you live there, your parents live there, you visit frequently, it just seems like an evolution and uh, imagining the shock that people have who have not seen it in a long time. And, and is any good uh, Green Bay or perhaps even Wisconsin reunion, uh, you need a venue. 
And that venue, of course, was a bar. A bar so, owned by a classmate. So Yes, indeed. Yes, indeed. So we, we had that going for us. Um, it was a, it turned out to be a great venue, actually. It was, uh, it was kind of funny because it kind of started out blue hair special, four o'clock in the afternoon. And I was like, okay, this is going to be interesting. But uh, I tell you what, it was, um, you know, there were folks that, that uh, closed that place down. I mean, it was, it was a good turnout. Like, it, like Neil said, too, it was, it was fun to, to um, talk to people that hadn't been back and really a sense of nostalgia from those folks too. Really, you know, just the, the changes that had happened. But um, like I said, with, with growing older, if you will, but just having the opportunity then to just kind of explore on their own without kids and just, you know, just kind of okay, um, because their families have moved away. So um, getting back, kind of getting in touch, uh, maybe even thinking of moving back, you know, who knows, um, back to the GBC. But no, overall, it was that part of it was was really fun. It dovetailed nicely into lots of other, you know, I guess that activities regarding the Packers and, and uh, this beautiful picture of City Stadium. Now, granted, when we were in high school there, they didn't have this. <laughs> there was uh, really no recollection or, or no remembrance at all of, of this. Um, but it's, it's nice that not only this, as well as some upcoming pictures here with the Heritage Trail, really a, a neat thing that Green Bay has done to promote the history of the Packers throughout the city, because it's just, it's pervasive, it's everywhere, putting that all together and, and memorializing that's really a cool thing that they've done. It's really cool, but it's also really cool when you realize I played there, right? John and I played football yes, on that stadium. We played high school football as our home stadium at the home of the Packers from 1925 to 1956. And I just looking at this photo right now, I still get goosebumps thinking about the fact that yes, I played my high school football on something that was an NFL stadium that was the home of the Packers. And it was not something that was certainly in our cons conscious at the time. Certainly as, as Jeff said, those markers the, that that sign those gates those weren't there back in the time when we were playing high school football but it's really great to come by the old alma mater and to see this and just remember how different it is growing up in Green Bay how it was a unique experience we've talked about it before and it's just every time I think about it, it's like yeah who else do you talk to that has this type of experience you kind of touched on it both of you touched on it on what the 80s were like and and how things are different now in that perspective and I can remember so going back Neil to freshman football and it was a Thursday night in September of 1984 and we're heading over to East High School to play football and I remember wondering why we weren't getting a special invitation to play on this field because of the hallowed ground that it was. But in 1984, unfortunately, people didn't give a shit. Uh, there was talks of this team moving to Milwaukee. And, and, and we were really at, at a low point in Packers history. And so for four years, you know, we played on that field. There's no memorabilia at the time, uh, either outside in the stadium or even inside in the school. It took many years after that for a lot of that stuff to get kind of dug out of the basement or for the facade to be redone. I'm not saying I, I'm bitter about it, but I, I kind of wish that when we did play, Neil, that uh, there would have been more recognition of that. It was like, oh, neat, the Packers played here at one time. But now I think it is something different. I think that it's great what the schools have done, the city has done, the team has done to recognize the East-West rivalry that's over 100 years old, one of the oldest in the country. Um, and just the number of people of all types that have played football in that stadium or been through that stadium, not even as football players, but just there. And it's great that we have that history that we're, we're able to embrace that. Uh, so yeah, it definitely is a beautiful site there at uh, Old City Stadium at Green Bay East High School. In addition to sites around Green Bay on the Heritage Trail, we also, uh, while we we're in town, did a little road trip. And if you were listening to last episode, we talked about Rockwood Lodge. And so Neil's photo here is of this uh, retaining wall structure, which perhaps could be the last remaining 
structure or part of Rockwood Lodge still standing? Rockwood Lodge, Packers training camp from 1946 to 1949 that probably for the Packers thankfully burned down in 1950. But uh, talking about lost history, and Jeff talked about this last week, right? There is absolutely nothing on that site that indicates that Rockwood Lodge was there. That precursor for the training camp, something that was ahead of its time. You go, there's a campground, there's areas where people can play football or whatever. There's there's a boat launch down at the lower level, but absolutely nothing that's there is anything older than 50 years old other than probably this wall. So the wall seems to be an original type of structure. You can see why Rockwood Lodge would have been appealing to Curly Lambeau and the Packers and that you've got this beautiful view of the bay. Now, I will say that I walked around on the ground where the Packers played during training camp and it was the rock. I mean, it was just walking (laughs) on that grass. You could feel that rock was right underneath underneath it. I was just getting tired from my feet just from walking on the grass there. It is clear that um, they made the right football decision to move on, even though that decision was made for them by a fire. I mean, it was it was not pleasant even walking on that territory. It, it was really nice being out there and actually seeing some kids playing football and actually telling them about the history of the place. But as I said, there's absolutely nothing on the site that indicates that this is a site of the Packers. But a gorgeous view. And so, like you said, it, you can be, you can totally see why uh, as it overlooks the bay. It's cooler, you know, a little bit cooler there as well. But, yeah, it's just it, it's odd that and maybe, you know, who knows, maybe that at some point will be recognized or maybe that's a chapter that they they just as soon forget. Who knows? But uh, great that we were able to to get, get, you know, get up there, get back there, kind of check it out a little bit and uh, reminisce. So there is no placard. There is nothing there at Rockwood Lodge at this time. Uh, Maybe there will be someday to, you know, kind of show that spot in Packer history. But Neil, you did find plenty of other plaques and signs and things like that on your trip around Green Bay. What else did you find? Who did you see or what did you see, I should say? Well, I had the Lambo Jeep with me, and so I decided to let's make this a whole Lambo thing. We did the 5K run at Lambo Field. Obviously, the shareholders meeting, Rockwood Lodge was Lambo's final act as the Packers was was essentially developing Rockwood Lodge as a place to stay. City Stadium, obviously. Curly Lambo, also a graduate of Green Bay East High School and a founder of the Packers coach and player for 30 years combined. Um, So going on, Curly Lambeau's birth home is just six blocks away from East High School, and it's featured in the photo that you see. So it's a house that actually dates back from 1868, and he he grew up there and uh, he was born there. And uh, it's, again, a part of history that you don't really expect to see a birth home of somebody who was, was born in the 1800s in a place like Green Bay. And yet there it is. And at the corner of Irwin and University on Green Bay's east side, I'll point out to my mom, who I know is uh, watching right now, that that's right across the street from Nicolay Elementary School, where she walked to school for many years growing up uh, nearby as well. Yeah, and it's a it's a pretty neat brick building. I've got the photo of the front here, but it actually extends far beyond in the in the back, and then has a as a patio area in the back, and it's clearly occupied by somebody who lives there. It's not a museum or anything. There's a lovely built-in gas grill on the patio in the backyard as well, but very well kept up and a fitting tribute to the founder of the Green Bay Packers. And as you found the birthplace home in Green Bay of Curly Lambeau, Neil, you found his final resting place as well shockingly right in Alloway Catholic Cemetery just a couple miles from our homes yeah I'd never happened to have been there before and decided well as long as I'm doing a Lambo trip let's go and so the Lambo gravesite is within a family site his parents are there you can see there's a special marker for him one of the things that I talked to the person who I talked to somebody who worked in the Uh, cemetery there and she said that yeah one of her big jobs is actually cleaning up various memorabilia that people leave on curly lambo's graves specifically yeah it's 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 a it's a shrine for packers fans and it was a really neat thing to see curly lambo's gravesite is there his parents are next to that within a family tombstone that is for the entire family there there's some siblings there as well within that site so and in addition since curly lambo died they added an additional tombstone mark. So there's this 
additional shrine that's between Curly's actual original tombstone and the Lambeau family that specifically recognizes his role as the founder of the Green Bay Packers, all in a very peaceful cemetery. So Alloway Catholic Cemetery is is a pretty big cemetery and, and growing. And just as an aside, uh, my grandparents are actually uh, buried in the cemetery as well. It's a, like I said, pretty big cemetery, pretty popular for those uh, folks from Alloway or kind of in the Alloway area. And uh, so, you know, if you get a chance, uh, go visit and pay your respects. Neil, you mentioned you you ran into effectively a caretaker of the, the cemetery. Any indication of other players in Alloway Catholic Cemetery? Yeah, she was very enthusiastic, first of all, in showing me the Lambeau gravesite, but also said, yeah, if you are able to go to the mausoleum, Tony Canadeo there, Clark Hinkle is there. So yeah, there's there there is a general history of the Packers that you can find if you're somebody who's into visiting cemeteries. And not all shrines are cemeteries. Neil, you had another big road trip. You were out on the West Coast and you found uh, some great Packer memorabilia there as well. Yeah, so I happened to be out in California for work and I, I took a couple days off after work, went up to Lassen Volcanic National Park because I'd never been there and decided, well, if I'm this close, I might as well go visit Chico, California, the hometown of Aaron Rodgers. Uh, let me say, just to start out, Chico is in the middle of nowhere. If you go straight north of Chico, it's about 60 miles of nothing until you get to the National Park. So um, it's a town of about the size of Green Bay, about 100,000 people, but without the suburbs. So it's essentially like pretend there's Green Bay, but not, no De Pere or Alloway or anything like that. But it's a town that was a, a very thriving town, and it's actually a really enjoyable town. I had, a, I had a good time in it. They had a really nice downtown area that was extremely walkable, good, really good restaurants, uh, very California style cuisine. It was it was a lovely town, stayed in, in a, a hotel that played on the gold rush era. But certainly within the town, I decided to ask people about various things that were associated with Aaron Rodgers. And, you know, is there anything that's a remembrance of Aaron Rodgers within Chico, California? And so seemingly everyone that I talked to had some sort of Aaron Rodgers story that they weren't entirely willing to tell me everything about, which was kind of interesting. But uh, there were a couple of places that, that Aaron Rodgers specifically had memorabilia for. And one was at Riley's, which is where this uh, sign, Aaron Rodgers, Super Bowl 45 MVP helmet is located. So Aaron Rodgers actually was interviewed about his favorite place in Chico. And he actually said that Riley's, which is this incredible dive bar that also won Barstool's best bar in the US 2021, definitely had great character, very cheap drinks, uh, very interesting clientele the whole time I was there. They had Aaron Rodgers with the signed helmet. They also happened to have, and John, I know that you'll need to ignore the other part <laughs> of that picture, uh, but they also had a sign Aaron Rodgers with the California golden bears and so uh, definitely there were things there but there were photographs all over the wall there were thousands of photographs of patrons over the years um, Chico is a, a college town it's the home of Cal State Chico and uh, a school that is renowned as being a top party school in the United States and the the town very much had a college party atmosphere as far as um, getting off of the main drag of Main Street was concerned. But a really fun bar. I really enjoyed Riley's. I enjoyed the people that I met at Riley's. The other bar that I went to in Chico that was strongly recommended that also had Aaron Rodgers memorabilia was the bear, which is actually the shirt that I'm wearing right now. Yes, I'm not wearing the uh, Jordan Love or the quarterback red jersey, but I'm wearing from the bear in Chico, California, which I, I enjoyed both um, at night and then came back for lunch in the afternoon. And they had their own special Aaron Rodgers memorabilia and they have a special eating challenge. Uh, they call it Aaron Rodgers passing fast fancy challenge and that you have to finish four burgers, two brats, each of them piled high and a pound of cheese fries, six pack of Milwaukee's best. And you got to do it all in 30 minutes. Um, that sounds like a very Wisconsin type of food challenge, but there were about 15 photos on the wall of people who had finished that food challenge. And uh, there was one particular winner of that food challenge that the bartender wanted to go on about. So the woman shown here, bartender said she was like five, two weighed maybe a hundred pounds. And the bartender told her straight out, no, you're, you're never going to finish this. I don't even know why you're trying. Yeah. Yeah. She finished it. So, um, you know, eating a uh, very Wisconsin type feel as far as the eating within the bear, but also it was just a really entertaining bar that a lot of rooms with really great memorabilia all over the place. Just that eating challenge. <laughs> I remember you showed that to us and, you know, all that food, but then, oh, by the way, a six pack of Milwaukee's best. I mean, who, who 
came up with that? I mean, brilliant. But people oh in God. Wisconsin don't even drink Milwaukee's best. <laughs> I, I mean, come on. You know, and they, they've got pictures. I don't have it here, but they had pictures of the burgers and the amount of stuff that was piled on the yeah. burger. The burgers had multiple patties, and um, yeah. this was not something that was a small amount of food that you were consuming. But uh, again, seems perfect for a Packers player as a food challenge. Yeah, no, I just I think it's amazing in the fact that anybody not named uh, Mr. Chestnut <laughs> would would you know be able to finish this. You know Joey Chestnut maybe, but that that's absolutely incredible. So that what a what a fun little thing to stumble across, right? So did was there like a little at one point in time did you think yeah maybe no, I'll try that? Never. They I, I had one burger and that that was plenty. I, I I'm beyond my eating large quantities of food in one sitting days. But uh, it, it was fun talking to people. Basically, every bar in Chico, I went and talked to people and um, or at restaurants and just sort of seeing, you know, who had connections or who had stories. And, you know, it's, there's, there's, there's no statue of him or anything like that town. There were these two bits of memorabilia in two different bars. And as far as I could tell, that was it. Um, it but it's a town that's, that's doing well. It's, it's a perfectly fun place for a visit. Well, and, he, and you checked out his high school, right? Yeah, so you know, Aaron Rodgers went to Pleasant Valley High School in Chico, California, and was a star quarterback there. So I figured, well, you know, I, I've been to Kiln, Mississippi, and I've visited Brett Favre Field, Hancock High School in Mississippi. So let's go visit Aaron Rodgers High School Field. Um, at Brett Favre Field, there's a big statue of Brett Favre outside of it. There's a big Brett Favre Field over the bleachers. There was none of that at Pleasant Valley High School. Uh, it was just nothing that was there that indicated Aaron Rodgers ever went there. There was an alumni wall of donors. There was nothing that was there. I, I did walk around the whole stadium just to look in all the little places. Is there something somewhere that might say Aaron Rodgers? And no, there wasn't but i did get to see some some high school players sort of in their summer camp mode and talk to one of the one of the players outside the weight room and he said yeah there's only like one little tiny thing outside of the main office that indicates aaron Rodgers was there and uh, i actually was given the explanation for that when i was when i was talking to people in the bars and that aaron Rodgers had actually volunteered to donate money to build a new football stadium for his high school so that's pleasant valley high school in chico but chico has two high schools chico high school being the major high school and what the school board said is well we will accept your money for the stadium for pleasant valley if you also build a stadium for chico high school and aaron Rodgers said I, I didn't go to chico why would i ever do that and so they basically because of local politics decided well we can't have one high school favored over the other and i'm willing to bet the school board members were alums of chico high school and not alums of pleasant valley and they couldn't have the rival high school in town get the really cool field with the aaron Rodgers. and so local california politics uh, allowed aaron Rodgers to hold on to his own money unfortunate for the people there and it was it was really weird just that there was nothing at all indicating that a, a four-time mvp quarterback that a future nfl hall of famer actually was a quarterback at your high school it was it was just bizarre that there was nothing there whatsoever. I also happened to venture out to Butte College, which is a tiny community college about 15 miles outside of Chico. That is where Aaron Rodgers spent one year before going to the University of California and where he made a name for himself that uh, that caused him to be recruited to the Golden Bears. And uh, there's even less at Butte Community College uh, football stadium indicating that Aaron Rodgers went there. You can see that there's just these two little tiny bleachers uh, as far as the college is concerned. Again, it's a commuter school that's out in the middle of nowhere. It sort of looks like take the worst buildings at UW Green Bay and make a college out of that. That's what the community college looks like. It's a beautiful area. There are buttes indeed all over that entire area, but kind of shocking that at neither his high school nor his first college, is there any indication that Aaron Rodgers went there? So that was the oddest part of the entire trip that there was just this absence of Aaron Rodgers but as I said Chico is a nice place and a nice visit it wasn't for lack of looking apparently Neil I mean you certainly did your your due diligence and you went around and was not to be found huh no I I just I don't understand it but uh you know certainly Aaron Rodgers uh let's say very Californian nature. That Californian nature definitely came through as far as the town of Chico. Again, a isolated town of 100,000 people in Northern California. It definitely had its own quirks and its own fun and really enjoyable place. And a nice look at Chico, California, but we are going to keep our eyes on Green Bay. Uh, training camp continues. Family night is coming up on Saturday. We've got live action preseason football, three games here in the month of August. And then uh, we are back to real 
NFL football. Uh, but the month of August is going to tell us how we get that uh, number of 90 guys on the field down to the mandated 53. And we're going to be watching every single aspect of it from here on out. Jeff, anything in particular you're looking forward to here in August in the preseason? I'm just to see football back again, right? Um, you know, family night is, is, is a scrimmage. So uh, with the preseason games coming up, hope for health. I, I hope that uh, the quarterbacks and the uh, specifically Jordan Love, but just the quarterbacks in general, based on what Neil said from training camp and the wide receivers, they kind of gel a little bit. Um, hopefully that'll be the case. I think, you know, we haven't talked at all about our, our running back, uh, our duo there. So I think that's going to be a strength. Probably looking to, to head back to Green Bay over the you know, over the next month as well, and maybe maybe check out a preseason game or uh, I don't know if I can get there in time uh, training camp. That's for, you know, over the next couple of weeks yet. Um, but yeah, excited for football. Looking back, like I said, I think we had a, a great time back with our reunion and such, and our our weekend kind of relearning the Packers. It's great that Neil had a chance to to go on the Heritage Trail a little bit something that I certainly would uh, like to, to uh, do a little bit more of as well. Lots of history out there. So it's kind of a, kind of a look back uh, over the course of uh, this, this segment here. So now that we've looked back, it's time to look forward. I know that the theme of this season is that all you need is love, but of course, you know, it's not a game of just one player. We are looking forward to having a great season from Jordan Love but I'm really excited that Jordan Love is having to face a really talented secondary and he's being forced to hone his skills against some really good players. And I think it's that defense that's going to drive the team this year. The offense is certainly going to have its role, but seeing that defense improve our offense is something that's going to pay dividends throughout the season and beyond. Yep. I agree with you on that. Uh, looking forward to the defensive strengths while the precision of the offense comes around. I uh, would love to see how the young receivers work their way up. But Jeff, you're right. Our, our offensive line and our running backs are going to probably carry the offense for a little bit uh, there as well. Plenty to keep our eyes on as preseason rolls around. We'll be back with some more episodes. But if you're watching us on YouTube, please hit subscribe. Leave a comment if you will. You can find the GBC podcast at Green Bay Chat. That's all one word on Twitter, Instagram, TikTok, Snapchat, and Spotify. And at Facebook, we are the GBC Podcast Green Bay Chat. And may you fully appreciate the magnitude of your impending good fortune. Thanks for joining us. Good night. Good night.